Hello and welcome to this month of Motorsport May edition. I'm Sean Smith and I'm joined by Alistair Walker. Good evening. And James Montgomery. Why, hello there. How is everyone? All good? Living my finest life. Living my finest life as we head towards summer, good sir. I don't put Bouncing between a million racing projects here. Oh yes, that's All of fair. which costing me more money than I think they should. <laughs> it is the way. Welcome uh, to Motorsport. Yes, and, this, and for those who, who are new, this one for Motorsport, of course, is the roundup of the last 30-odd days of sporting action in the world of motorsport, from the biggest to the smallest, and anything in between that we can be bothered to talk about. Uh, limited time. We start with, with with one subject. In this case, month of May, it must be the Indy 500, which is going to be taking place at this weekend. So, 10 minutes. This is for me. Start the clock. So, we had history made at the weekend, boys. The fastest ever Indy 500 qualifying run. Ooh, how fast was it? Well, top speed in the, in the UK legally is 70 miles per hour. That's pretty fast. The top speed, I don't know, of a Fiat 500. A bit faster. Maybe 120. Yeah, 75. 75 miles an hour. The Indy 500 average qualifying lap time for 2023 was set by Alex Palau at 234.217 miles per hour. That's impressively yeah. quick. Average. average. <laughs> That's a two lap average four. as well, isn't it? Four. Is it four? Okay. Crikey. Crazy. So top speeds they were hitting two hundred and forty-two down the down the front stretch and back stretch, and then yeah, scrubbing it off a bit in the corners. But crazy numbers. I think this is higher than Formula One go any point in the season, and that's the average. Although equally in IndyCar around some of the tracks are a little bit slower, but that's not the point. What do you mean yeah. they can't do two hundred thirty mile an hour on a street circuit? I mean. They can try. If the street circuit is the size of Nevada, then maybe. Hmm. Maybe they'd like to try F1's new um, Las Vegas circuit. Yeah. I well, mean, someone's <laughs> got to like it. I mean, it's definitely not me. Yeah. I mean, they could probably do 230 miles an hour around the boring um, Saudi Arabian track that just goes like a little bit left, a little bit right, a little bit left, a little bit right on the second half of it. If they try hard enough. But anyway, that's not the point. Alex Perlau for Chip Ganassi Racing Honda, which, now, this, this is another thing. Three cars averaged 234-plus miles per hour. Uh, Renus VK, Fred Carpenter Racing, and Felix Rosenquist for Aaron McLaren Chevrolet. Um, that's quite quick. That sounds like they were the second, third, and fourth fastest ever laps around the Indy 500 for a qualifying run then to me. Really, Monty? That's that's, that's a coincidence because they are the third, the, the, the third and fourth fastest laps ever around. Well, they're all Hondas at the top of the timesheets, or are there some Chevrolets? In no, there it's a well? it's a Honda and two Chevys. In fact, it's a Honda then four Chevys. So okay, uh, so nicely balanced. Have um, Honda sorted their reliability issues for the most part? Because I will admit, I don't watch a lot of IndyCar outside of the Indy Five Hundred. Uh, there's not been crazy popping of one engine or the other recently but uh as you all know when you run a car at well over 200 miles an hour for two hours it's um things can go bright go bang 
And they usually do. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, my alpha did at 80. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, mean, you mean 77, Al? Yes. Yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. It's uh, it's it's nice to see that IndyCar's engines have kind of like leveled out between the two because there have been years when Honda have been well ahead or Chevrolet have just had a massive advantage in fuel economy, for example. Uh, so it looks like it will be just be a big big fight, which is good. Which is great. We don't want those days again where Lotus used to dominate in the early two thousand tens. That was really boring. Uh, Monty, I, I think um, you, you read that upside down. They're, they're, they're... Oh no! Oh yes, you're right. They're, they're right at the bottom. Sorry, oh. <laughs> down again. Sorry, Sean. That's okay, that's okay, mate. Easy done. Um, let's talk. So, people who second fastest ever uh, qualifying lap, though, wasn't it? Ari Leindijk, I think, holds the record two thirty six. Do you think we're ever going to get to that speed again? Um, not with this car. No, we can. We yeah, one, the, can one can hope. There was a two thirty-five set this this month, but um, I don't think there's a lot. I mean, they have up, up the power recently, but I don't think the Delara. I mean, the, no. To be fair, the Delara the W twelve could probably do it. It just needs. It's just a case of pushing it forward, probably with bigger turbos or just let less restriction. Which I know I don't think there's any need for IndyCar to push to that. Because they've they've got a, be a better show than they did in the seventies, much closer racing. It's better for it. Fully agreed. It's uh, been fun to watch the series so far this year. Who do you think is going to go on then, boys? We got, who, who's going to win? Well, my, I've got. I, I usually make make money on Indy five hundred every year, so uh, I'm pretty confident in my choices. I just because my partner wants them to win. I like to see Takuma Sato do well. For a third time, that'd be good. For Chip Ganassi. Yep, Either same. that or Elio Castroneves, just because he seemed so cheerful the last time he won it. <laughs> he seems cheerful every, every <laughs> single time he gets out of the car, unless he's had a massive crash. I mean, true, but actually I think it was the Daytona 24 I saw him win and watch him climb the catch fencing from the inside. So. Yeah, that's his, his trademark. Um, I think that... I actually, I'm actually thinking... A little sly each way on Santino Ferrucci this year. As much as I don't like him as a person very much, he's uh, he's looked pretty consistent through the year and through uh, through the month rather. Absolutely, be interesting to see if McLaren can keep up the pace uh, during the race. Possibly, I mean they they got off in the early before the um, uh, before the top twelve and top six shootout. McLaren were one two with Felix Rose and Kristen Alexander Rossi with Tony Kanaan in sixth place and Petter Award in eighth. And so it's entire. They've clearly got a good car for the track this month. Unlike maybe let's say, Ray Horletta Melanigan Racing, maybe not not Yee. not not quite so likely to be on the top at the end. Well, it sounds like a uh, Graham Rahal's uh, got a lucky one now. He's uh, hopped on over to another team, so perhaps that's the only winning Rahal we're going to see this year. Yeah. So that was uh, due to Stefan Wilson having a crash yesterday mm. at the time of recording. Uh, yes. We, we, Breaking a breaking a vertebrae in his rib, I think, or his back, or something like that. Vertebrae, correct. Yeah, so uh, not nice. So hopefully he gets well soon. Um, but yes, it's going to be a thirty-three card field. I let's see, people I want to win. I always want Will Power to win just because he's like chill. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sato, he's won me loads of money over the years in Indy, so I'll be happy with that. 
Renus VK, I feel, has been unlucky the last couple of years. Um, he's been up there in qualifying, but then the Ed Carpenter racing cars seem to sort of like slowly step backwards through the race. It'd be nice mm-hmm. to see them get be- get a bit better. I suppose with Alex Palau there, they've got another another fast driver to give the team a better overall um, uh, setups field. But if I'm looking down the field a bit further. Marco Andretti's had a terrible time this month, down at 24. He's been very vocal as well. Yes, very he has. vocal and a, a frustrated. Good he's old. not a happy boy. No, good old Marco. Um, how many more years do you think he's got left? Can't be many at this point. He's in his mid to late 30s. Yeah, no, he he's... Um, well, you say that. I mean, look at Tony Canaan. He's nearly 50 and this is him only just coming up to his retirement now. I think that'll be the fairy, uh, fairy tale ending if Canaan won uh, oh, this it, year. It would, be, it? it would be popular. Yep, very but, popular one. Um, but I'm going to go with Switzerland's finest, Roman Grosjean. Here we go. That's uh... yeah. <laughs> No, not really. Uh, uh, he'll uh... be first in the wall again. <laughs> no, well, only because only um, uh, Sebastian Bourdais isn't racing this year. Oh, yeah. Is he not? Why is Sebastian Bourdais this year? With Persia, I guess. Is he? Oui. Yeah. Did I miss that? Am I just not being paying attention to who's been driving the Peugeot in the World Endurance Championship? Maybe. No one has because they're always at the back. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think there's big names further down the field, the likes of Colton Herter and um, obviously uh, Joseph Newgarden. They could both be. They should both be coming through. Uh, <laughs> but no, I don't know. It's uh, in terms of the rookie. Let's just give a shout out to Benjamin Peterson, eleventh on the. Original times. Where did he finish overall? Eleventh in in qualifying. So yeah, very good job from him for AJ Foyt. I don't know. It's a wide open field. It depends a lot. It, it'll depend on the weather. Indy often is as well, isn't it? It's there's so many things in those. I mean, yeah. I don't think oval racing gets maybe a fair reputation in Europe. There's so many things can happen in a 500 mile race like that. that yeah. You can genuinely come from near the back of the field if you have a combination of a good, stable race car and a little bit of lady luck on your side. Yes. But, uh, yeah, I'd, I think if I had to choose one driver, Felix Rosengrist. So there we go. Right. Let's move on to the next topic. There's a, there's a big 24-hour that's happened in this month, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely huge one, I think. How big was the grid, Monty? I think oh, you know this one better than me. I, I think it was about 51 cars. This is like the creme de la creme of all the 24-hour races. Uh, it's the one which really gets you excited. And, well, if you ain't there, you ain't cool, kids. Yeah, I mean, no, it's, it's, it's on there. my bucket list. I mean, even compared to races I've been to, it's a bucket list item. Absolutely. If... if uh, you're not a true motorsport fan unless you have attended this motorsport event. And if you have the chance to race in it as well, my goodness, I'm so jealous of you guys. Only the finest of the finest ever get to drive this combination. And it is, of course, the Citroen C1 Endurance Series. 24 yeah. hours of Silverstone. Hooray! Hooray! <laughs> oh. <laughs> I think this um, somewhat replaced the old Citroen 2CV 24 hours, didn't it, after they became a bit too rare? Well, in Britain, yes, but they're still going in Europe because... That's um true, yeah. There's still the Spa 24 hours for 2CVs, isn't there? 
Correct, but uh, they've mixed the C1s in with the two CVs now just to keep the uh, the grid nice and uh, bolstered out. But, yeah, um, multi-class. LMPs, exactly. LMP, LMPs and uh, Duchevaux. Exactly, exactly. You know, it's, it's a good combination going on there. And for this year as well, they're going to Portimao for another 24-hour race in December. So, uh, And fingers crossed, I'll be taking part in that race. So... Uh, Spoiler alert. But no, ignoring all of that, let's talk about the Silverstone race because, um, oh gosh, there was about 435 laps, I think, in total. Sounds mad, isn't it? Silverstone Grand Prix circuit and you're telling us it's a three-minute 50-lap time or something <laughs> like that. I, I don't know. It's just, yeah, really, really slow. But the racing was so, so close. Um, now, after 24 hours of racing, the top four were all on the same lap. So, um, and it really did go down to the line. Um, between Emax Motorsport and Trojan Motorsports coming into the penultimate lap, two tenths of a second between them. And as they went into village, bam, collision. And uh, that kind of finished that race off, you know. So uh, not what you expect after 24 hours of racing. Really fun to watch on the live stream on BRSCC's uh, YouTube channel. But um, the stewards had their say afterwards, and they deemed Emacs were uh, uh, the, the rather the driver of Emacs was at fault, and so they were given a I believe it was a three minute uh, time penalty, so that dropped them from first down to fourth. Still great fun to watch for the last twenty four hours, and the budget for it oh, this blows my mind away. You can go and do this racing for less than five grand. Really? Five grand to go and do a twenty four hour race. That's, yeah, my, now, that's my kind of territory, that. I mean, I could do that. Yeah, I will say, I mean, unfortunately, I think Monty will probably agree with me, there's no such thing really as cheap motorsport in the sense that none of it's ever truly cheap to do. But Oh, no, the, the only way the... you... Sorry, I was going to say, the only way you ever become a, a millionaire in motorsport is by starting off a billionaire, <laughs> right? Absolutely, yeah. That, unless outside of a very very select few bit no one makes money in motorsport but well that kind of budget is i, don't know I mean that's how. probably not much worse than doing uh the british pro cart 24 hours either mm, actually it probably yeah. is a couple of times higher but if you're doing it as an owner driver it's probably yeah it's definitely a very good budget for doing a circuit 24 it's for just doing any kind of road racing because uh, just to leave carts and go and do a race at Brands Hatch, go and do something at Silverstone, why not go over to Europe because they've got the single make series there as well. Go and do eight hours of Zolder or Manicure or something, you know. Can you imagine eight how... Eight hours of Zolder sounds very fun. I like it. It sounds very breaking on body and car. <laughs> But that's why we love endurance racing, yeah, is it? Yeah, not? yeah, no, no, no. It's no. man and machine against time itself. Well, I'm just, just and you realise both how weak your leg and the suspension arm are. Yeah, but yeah, yep. I'm just glad there's not 24 hour. That's what I'm saying. You need a ten. What, ten Zelda? Yeah. You need nah, a nonsense. You need a ten a ten person team just to survive. Nonsense. 24 <laughs> no, hours of Zelda. I can do that by myself. Bottles of... Oops, sorry. You just need five oh. bottles of Diet Mountain Dew. <laughs> that works. A reference Monty might remember. <laughs> <laughs> I may remember very well. I've never seen you buzzing so much before, sir. <laughs> not even see me. <laughs> he could see sounds. That's how buzzing he was. <laughs> um, how modified are these cars, Monty? 
uh, minimal modifications in the, the UK series. So I believe it's um, they run to a stock set of wheels and tyres. Uh, they have a control damper system, so um, it's not a road legal one, but you have to buy the one from the race organisers. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, pretty much everything else is the same. It's the same bodywork. Um, just strip out the cars, pop a row cage in it, and um, you're good to go. It's as close to a road-going car that you could get to with a row cage in it, really. Um cool. And um, it, no modifications to the engine. That's all stock. Um, ditto for the the exhaust, the mufflers, everything else like that. Stock. They they run on stock petrol as well. So literally, the, the only things you're really modifying are the tires, the brakes, and put uh, putting in a roll cage for safety. And a bucket seat, of course, with a five point harness. Not too bad. But um, some of the teams I've been speaking to. You can pick up one of these cars for six grand, maybe even less. And um, building up to the 24-hour race, they're doing, say, three-hour, four-hour, and eight-hour races. Uh, race entry is about 1,200 quid. So if you're teaming up with three drivers, that's 400 quid to go and do a race. Um, fill it up with petrol every three hours, put some new tyres on it every four hours. So... Once you get that initial cost out of the way, you can probably go racing on a weekend for just under a grand. A car racing, this is that. That's relatively good value compared to other things. Well, because I mean, I've done car endurance and we were spending £250 a person for a weekend. There you go. So, I mean, it's probably not too dissimilar. The main differentiator in cost is going to be things like storage. Yes. Obviously, if you have your own storage, it, it helps, doesn't it? If you've got your own storage, great. But yeah, like a lot, lot of people, they've got to find like a, a trailer or a big warehouse just to go and park it in or something. This is exactly why I bought a cart, is I had a shed <laughs> and I have a very cheap van rental place in town. So I just carry it sideways down the side of the house and put it in the shed. <laughs> hope you put a dust sheet over it so it doesn't catch the rain or at least some tarpaulin he's got a roof it's a fairly well built shed oh okay that's good that's good it's got three nails in it <laughs> I mean it's got a concrete floor wow and glass po- posh shed very posh shed now is the concrete floor actually attached to the shed yes or does the shed just kind of sit on top of it and you hope that it doesn't get too windy so it's it was a, built as an outhouse, so it is actually like. Oh my built. God! You've got Jimmy Broadbent's house. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, Yay! Except with less wallpaper. Don't don't, nice. sh- don't shout too loudly, Al. Otherwise, like Morgan and the other garage easters will be trying to like get squatters' rights so they can build their cars on, on your land. Yes, they will be. Je- no, it was originally built as a pool house for a swimming pool that was in my garden, but is no longer in my garden. It got filled in with dirt and Chickens. what was a fountain. Hmm. Anyway, we we've, have somewhat we've moved on. <laughs> um, stupid question, Monty. I'm good at those. Stupid answer. Pineapples. Um, yeah, there you go. And that's it for this one. No, I'm drinking. Um, <laughs> what, what's stopping someone from taking a... Because obviously it's a C1 cup, basically. What's the point? What's, why can't someone just take a Persia 107 or a Toyota Argo and just change the badges? Could that be done? Uh, uh, it's a good question. Um, 
I have actually looked at that myself. I've been told that's not a good idea. So um, for now, we commit with the C1s. However, BRSCC do run a sprint series of this car. Bit more modifications. They have the spoilers on them, lower wheels, stickier tyres. Sorry, lower springs and stickier tyres. <laughs> Um, and that one is open to 107s, IGOs, and C1s. Whereas, to the best of my knowledge, the C1 Racing Club Endurance Series is exclusively just C1s as per what the regulations state. I think the series you're mentioning is the City Car Cup. That's the one. Also, worth mentioning to anyone interested in this form of motorsport, it just popped into my head, there's also the Ford KA endurance series i don't know all oh, of yes. the details of that one admittedly but i think it's a very similar sort of concept also had um lamar overall winner nick tandy competing in it in the past nice yes no it's had some good prestige in it and from what i've heard as well the c1 enduro series has had some uh touring car drivers in there as well or porsche carrera cup drivers I, I have to say the actual quality of racing in these series is fantastic because you've got a lot of club members, amateur drivers in there as well. But for these endurance races, some of them are in contact with some of maybe racing in the Toka package or doing GT4s or GT3s. And if they've got spare time on the weekend, they go and hop in one of the cars for a few hours when time oh, allows. Yeah, so the, the actual standard of racing is really good. Speaking of GT3s... And others mm -hmm. and, and other classes. Shall we move on to topic number three? Yes. Yeah, so there, there was a second, slightly lesser, twenty-four hours that happened this month as well. Al. Yeah. So slightly bigger entry list. We had a hundred and thirty-six cars this weekend turn up for the fifty-first running of the Nurburgring twenty-four hours. Big deal. Which, <laughs> yeah, is probably the most chaotic twenty-four hour I watch in a year because I will typically dedicate my weekends to the Daytona 24, the Spa 24, Le Mans, and the Nürburgring. And the Nürburgring is just chaos. <laughs> because the fastest cars on the grid are full GT3 cars with factory driver lineups, and the slowest cars on the grid, well, it was a Dacia Sandero until about halfway through the race. Oh dear. No, I'm just a, yeah, just forewarn people, if they've ever watched that crash, it's colossal. Yes, so headlines, though, from the Nürburgring 24 hours would be, so we have had the first non-German winning car in 21 years. Yes, we have. Ferrari 296 of Fricadelli Racing took the win at a distance record of 162 laps. That's a long way. An interesting tidbit for people. It has a connection to the previous non-German winner. Which is? So the previous non-German winner was a Chrysler Viper run cool. by Zach Speed, but both that Viper and the new 296 GT3s were constructed by Orica. So they're French. Wow. Yeah, so basically the only people that aren't German that have managed to win the 24 hours of the Nürburgring are Orica. But yeah. Um, Sacre bleu. A rather amusing driver lineup. Um, I think the Nurburgring 24 Hours, especially because it's not part of anything like the GT World Challenge or attached to some of the larger series that run GT3s. You get some slightly unusual driver lineups where you might get drivers from 
multiple manufacturers basically outside of where they normally are and we found this in the winning car so we had uh, Felipe Fernandez Lassa a German driver who's a regular for Frecadelli we then had David Pittard who has been an Aston Martin driver and Earl Bamber and Nicky Katzberg who are General Motors drivers they're basically they're practicing for when Corvette bring a car to the Nürburgring I completely forgot that Earl Bamber's a GM driver I still think of him as a Porsche driver I still think of him as a Porsche driver. I forgot he'd been driving for Cadillac recently. Mind you, Nicky yes, Nicky so... Katzberg, I think, is a Lada driver, so that's um the, that shows how out of touch I am. Yeah, I still think of him as a BMW driver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so impressive pace shown by the Ferrari. Not a trouble free run. So they had a left rear puncture. Demonstrated though a combination of both Orica and Ferrari's great design work, Fricadelli's good work as a team, and a little bit of the lady luck that you need in endurance racing. They had the puncture right at the, or near the end of the lap, damaged the left rear bodywork, managed to bring it in, and it turns out one of the things between Ferrari and Orica that they decided was to have pretty much the entire rear section of bodywork come off with about four clips. Hmm, I wonder where they learned this idea. And Frecadelli had one already built up in the back of the garage ready to go on the car where the Nürburgring has a minimum pit stop time essentially because they can't balance all of the fuel pumps they have to use for this event. The team had managed to change the rear bodywork before the minimum pit stop time had elapsed. (laughs) So... They had to pit off strategy, but they didn't actually lose any time. So yeah, that was the big story of the race. The other big story is, as I mentioned, the obliteration of the fan favourite Dacia Sandero. At some point during the night between me falling asleep and me waking up, one of the GT3 Porsches came through the track and hit it. And not just glanced it, gave it a fair whack in the rear and took both cars out of the race. We should probably say at this instance that there are an absolutely huge number of classes racing this in this field. It's not Yeah, so the class that the Sandero was running in contained two Toyota Corollas from Toyota Gazoo Racing Thailand. An Opal Manta which has done I think 27 of the last 28 Nürburgring 24 hours. The <laughs> only reason it didn't do last year's is because it caught fire in their workshop and burned to the ground, but they have rebuilt it. Good on them. Yeah, so that's that class. There's classes that have things like minis, have. Uh, so there's a TCR class, there's classes for front wheel drive turbo cars, there's classes for production derived BMWs. There's a million and one Porsche Caymans. Um, yeah, there is a huge variety of cars in the Nürburgring 24 hours. And it's I'm... one of those events that is always chaotic, is the best way I can describe it. Because the Nürburgring is not a big track at any point. And, I mean, say, for instance, a Volkswagen Golf TCR, just because that's the one I'm looking at on the results sheet. They are not slow cars as competition cars, but... When you're driving one of those and you get 
a factory GT3 driver approaching you at 10 tenths. <laughs> Quite mm -hmm. a big speed differential. It's a huge speed differential. I'm just reading through the entry list now. Officially, for this year, they had 21 classes in the race together. Yeah, I will admit, I've never 100% understood all of the classes at um, the Nürburgring. I tend to... Media coverage tends to focus on the top classes, but the bottom classes are... Well, the bottom classes are things like mildly modified BMW 3 Series. They actually used to go lower up until the early 2000s. Both the Nürburgring and Spa 24 Hours were actually touring car races. Hmm. Cool. So the top class would nowadays have been saying like TCR in the 90s, it was the Super Tourers. Mm -hmm. And the bottom class was things like Minis and Fiat Cinquecentos. Jesus. <laughs> can't, cr can't crash one of those. Yes, one lap, 20 minutes or something like that. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, some of those slower classes have had to drop by the wayside over the years because... I mean, as still... much as it would be great to see a Fiat Cinquecento and a full-spec GT3 car on the same track at the same time, that would be more dangerous than I think anyone's willing to. Well, there's already a two- or three-minute gap per car. Mm, per, yeah, that's bad between, enough. From, from top to halfway down. It's yeah, I think it's... two cars as well, I've just seen. My yes, goodness. I... I will admit, GT2 is a class I still have mixed feelings about, but interesting to see them out and racing outside of the GT2 series. Mm-hmm, yep. BMW Although, 240 Cup as well. Yep, those are very popular. I mean, the Nürburgring is still a very German event. German cars are probably the most popular things. Um, a mixture of BMWs, Porsches... Mercedes, though, mostly in the GT4 and GT3 classes. Always mm -hmm. a surprising number of Aston Martins. <clears throat> yeah, I'm, I'm just noting that. I think the Germans might like them because they have an AMG engine. <laughs> uh -huh. And oh, as yeah. I say, works entries from Hyundai, from Toyota Gazoo Racing Thailand, uh, works entry from STI Subaru with a um, Impreza. And Stellantis Group. So, Fiat so, Peugeot. Yeah, interesting tidbit. I cannot remember the entry name, but they did it last year as well. A group of Stellantis executives, including their head of motorsport, competed in the Nürburgring 24 Hours. Last year they did it in an Opel Astra OPC, and this year they did it in an Astra TCR. Cool. Hmm. Unfortunately, I think they had technical issues, which, well, it's very, very, considering they're the people that would have greenlit the project, I'm sure has gone back to someone by now. I was going to say, imagine how scared rather than disappointed the engineers were when they, when they saw it on TV or on the timing screen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just to correct you, by the way, Al, just having a look, it was a Dacia Logan, technically, wasn't it? A Sand Logan. Sand I do apologize. Logan. Thought it was a Sandero. Ah, it's okay. It's still Slovakian uh, goodness, either way. Right. And unfortunately, not going to be seen at the Nurburgring again. Nope. R.I.P. That's it done. Do you know yeah, what they no. should bring out of retirement? 
the Peugeot, oh, what was it, 805 or 806, oh, I think it was? What, 806, yes. It ran yes. at the Spa 24 hours in the 90s. It was essentially a 405 Super Tourer mm-hmm. in a different shell. Yeah. <laughs> so. I think it only did one race, if I remember Correct. correctly. Yep, the Spa 24 in 95 or 96 or something like that. That was an inspiration because of uh, the Espace F1, I, I think. I say that, yeah. And I've got a Previa. I want to do the same with a Previa one day. <laughs> You'll see me in the Nürburgring 24 in a couple of years' time with really? my Toyota Previa. I mean, All they're... I can say about this, Monty, is have crash helmet will travel. <laughs> okay, cool. You can help me build the car. Perfect. Have welder will travel. Have free to Fantastic. <laughs> ah. Aha, right. Come on. Let's go. We'll be in it next year. Sorted. Well, right. so if we need something, if, if we need something newer, we can just get a Peugeot 1007. Now we're talking. Yeah. Anyway, um, let's move on to the final topic. Um, which one yeah, do you want? Final which... topic? Yeah, let's talk about the tire warmers and WEC. Seeing as ah. seeing as Le Mans next month. So this is true. So final final sort of mini topic. Let's have a little debate about uh, tire warmers. So the WEC, after the first two three races of the season. Uh, have reinstated tyre warmers for Le Mans and presumably onwards after a couple of crashes. Um, uh, the, the the question I've got is, um, is it the tyre tire manufacturer's fault or is it the driver's or is it the team or does it or, or should they just, you know, should, it, should they from reinstate it or From everything I've read, it sounds like the decision was made at a point where Michelin's tyres for this year's weren't designed to really operate without tire warmers mm-hmm. i think it's perfectly possible to run the series without tire warmers we i mean imsa to my memory hasn't had tire warmers for a few years now nope i think you do need the correct compound of tires to do it and i don't know admittedly why the tire compound is not a suitable one for running without tire warmers i don't know if Peugeot or, or not Peugeot. Uh, Michelin or the FIA basically made the move too late for this. I would, I'd still see why they're doing it. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think drivers probably can adapt. They do need a tyre compound, though, that is designed to be used in those conditions, realistically. I think that's what it boils down to. Yep, I'll plus one those comments. The issue is drivers will always find something to complain about. Teams will always find something to complain about. Even the best thought-out plans is change, and they're not going to like the change because suddenly someone else may have a competitive advantage. To be fair, there's a reason that the racing driver's excuse is a trope, is everyone (laughs) from myself and Monty who have done it at an amateur level to the top professionals that have won everything will never be entirely happy with their cars or their vehicles. There's always something that can be better... There's always one thing you want changed in the regulations because you think you'd do better that way. It, I think it's a constant in motorsport with drivers. Tire warmers in, in general, I'm not a fan of them in general. I completely understand. I, I, don't, I didn't know that WC was going to no tire warmers until the first race. Um, so I don't know how late in the day it was that they made the decision. It is entirely possible that Michelin were just caught off guard. Um, hopefully, they're able to 
bring the idea again next year or whenever that Michelin have a, a stick. Well, I mean, is it not Michelin tyres in IMSA? I don't know. Possibly. I know it is in the question. GT class. I can't remember if it is in the Proton class. I, Yeah, my mind is just drawing a blank there. But I mean, if it is, I can only imagine the reason that it wasn't the same compound used in the WCs. They'd probably already committed to the organisers what compounds they were going to be using. That's all I can imagine. So I don't, I don't believe Michelin would deliberately use a tyre that wasn't designed for that situation. I yeah. think they're... Yeah, Michelin don't want their tyres to look bad, and I don't think Michelins are bad in oh. racing. I think, in general, they've been very responsive and good tyres. I think the only time I've heard the IMSA drivers complaining about the lack of tyre warmers was during the night at one day, 24. They were saying it was taking a long time to get the tyres to turn on. To be fair to Michelin there... Florida was experiencing an unusual cold snap to the point that like little lizards and cold-blooded mammals were falling out of trees because <laughs> they were getting too cold. So it's not necessarily something Michelin could have foreseen months in advance when they were making the tyres, when the orders were put in and yeah. when the compounds were committed. Of course, it could just be a completely different asphalt we use over here compared to America. Yeah. It could also be part I mean, of that. I mean, I that, that's think... got Michelin out before in the past, hasn't it? <clears throat> in, the, in 2005. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think any two racing circuits, or many two racing circuits in the world actually have the same composition of tarmac, do they? Mm. I, d I doubt it, no. I, I mean, found... yeah, the Americans quite often have concrete in places. Um, somewhere like Brands Hatch will probably have very different tarmac. Somewhere like Silverstone, yeah, it's, there's a lot of variation around. Brooklands yeah. has some potholes and crates and craters. <laughs> I, mean, fair, I find this even in the RC racing world is the surface of two tracks can be dramatically different. Yeah. Um, on the plus side, though, it should mean that uh, the non-hybrid hypercars shouldn't be as swallowed up by the LMP2s at the start of the race. In theory. True. I mean, I yeah, did see some comments. I think it was what Monty was saying about drivers and teams will always find something to complain at. The LMDH running cars, I think, had made some comments that they felt the LMHs were benefited more from the tyre warmers than they will. And I think they're entirely correct. Cause the thing is, those LMDH cars were designed primarily for IMSA, mm -hmm. where they hadn't been using tyre warmers for a couple of years anyway. Those cars, realistically, will have been designed without tyre warmers in mind. It was quite funny at Spa, though, watching the Persia come out of the pits and just be like, yeah, sure, off we go, <laughs> on cold, cold tyres, because it made basically no difference to it. Whereas the, <laughs> the, the Cadillac and Porsche were like, oh, my God, <laughs> what's going on? That's the difference between a good car and a bad car, I guess. Yeah, and it is surprisingly... It, it can be surprising how little grip cold slicks have, especially on a slightly slick surface. Mm. I have been caught out by this myself. I had brand new tyres on a car. Literally, I'd unwrapped the plastic 20 minutes before this. Mm. Got out of the pit lane, put my foot down a little bit, the back end stepped out, and I ended <laughs> up in the grass opposite pit exit. Nice. 
Yeah, and that's just in a cart doing 50 mile an hour. Most I don't think I even got time. up to 50 miles an hour. I pretty much spun instantly. <laughs> <laughs> I was at least cheered by the fact that I wasn't the only person that did it that morning. Well, there you go, then. Okay, that's going to do it. I'm gonna, my last thing is I'm going to correct myself out. Sebastian Bourdais is not with Peugeot. He's with uh, General Motors. Cadillac. Oh, I do apologise. Yes, he is, isn't he? Yes, which I forgot, so... There we go. He should be a Peugeot, being French. Oh, wee wee. Oh, wee wee. Um, so, next month, of course, is June. Le Mans 24 hours. Al, we expect a full debrief. I will take many photos of obscure bits of car on Friday that no one else can identify. <laughs> we could play a game with that. That'd be good fun. <laughs> okay. uh, I'll tell you a story after the podcast. Okay. Uh, Monty, thank you for joining us. It's been Pleasure, a, been as always, while. for you to have me here. Indeed. Uh, follow us on social media at Stelvio Auto. Uh, we'll we have more episodes and articles and whatever at some point uh, soon enough. Thank you to Alan Monty for joining me. We'll see you next time. Take care and goodbye. Bye. Did you say thank you, Sam and Monty? I don't think so. I meant. Uh, okay. I meant. Anyway. <laughs>